Hello, my name is Bob Bamber. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Going back in the time machine to May of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. For Volume 3 this month, Volume number 1 takes us to WCW looking at Slamboree. Volume number 2 takes us to WWF looking at In Your House, A Cold Day in Hell. Volume number 4, we take our latest, latest trip to the UFC and we're here in number 3 to discuss all things ECW. As ever on the ECW shows, I'm being joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, good evening. Evening, Bob. How the devil are we? Not too bad, Chris. Uh, let's start off with the headlines, as we have a former WrestleMania headliner heading to ECW. That is right. The headliner, the main event of that wonderful WrestleMania 11, Bam Bam Bigelow, has uh, made his full-time debut wrestling for ECW. Um, he previously had a no-complete cause with the Fed, which lasted about two months. Um, and in that time, he was also considering a deal from the Fed and for WCW. WCW offered him a per-nightly deal, but with no guarantee money, and it would also mean they would have to coexist with his favourites, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who there was issues backstage with back when they were all in the Fed. Uh, the WF wanted him to come back and prove himself over about a four or five month period and being a profile job as a babyface before they would give him an actual contract. Um, basically, turned these down to work the lighter ECW schedule, basically just working weekends and occasional pay per views. Speaking of contracts, uh, everyone gets a new contract. Yeah, uh, basically, ECW essentially has committed everyone on roster to stay through until the next pay-per-view. Uh, they've given contracts to the crew that they signed last year, um, taking them through to the barely legal pay-per-view. Uh, had an automatic six-month renewal if there was going to be a second pay-per-view. And the uh, second deal is coming up, so they are having an extra continue. Yeah, second pay-per-view in August. One man who may or may not be there, as he may or may not be on his way to WCW at some point in the next month or so, is Raven. Yes, um, this is getting rather complex. <laughs> so, as of th- this month, Heyman has been in discussions with WCW regarding a settlement on how Raven is going to leave his ECW contract early. Raven's been booked for ECW events all the way through June and has even been asked to stay until the preliminary date of August the 17th, which is going to be the next pay-per-view. Even if he joins the WCW first, there's meant to be a clause in his deal, which means he can come back and do the pay-per-view. Um, Heyman has been pretty adamant on whether the negotiations turn out to be that he wants Raven to fight Dreamer and put Dreamer over on the pay-per-view as his final appearance, since he's planning on Raven and Dreamer and Sabu versus Taz as the main events for the next pay-per-view. Speaking of guys leaving, turns out the Rob Van down to WWF or WCW storyline might quite not have been what it seemed, but as we saw in this month's WWF action, Van Dam hasn't just appeared on ECW this month. That's right, RVD has been uh, suspected, but never having a solid offer from WCW, has actually been working Monday Night Raw. He turned up on the May 12th edition, with no warning whatsoever, he made an in-ring debut beating Jeff Hardy. Lawler introduced RVD and everyone from ECW, extremely crappy wrestling, and who knows firsthand the Bush Leagues that a bingo hall organisation is. JR speculated that Van Damme's appearance without ECW's knowledge is that his job with ECW could be at jeopardy as a result. 
it's believed that Paul Heyman was actually backstage to oversee the angle and was said to be very happy how the angle worked out. Yes, the, the JR comments very much in storyline should be noted. Um, a quick pivot. BWO shirts, get them while they're hot. Yep. Um, Richards has officially left the BWO and it is broken up. Um, this has all become part of the storyline this month where Richards has been going after the world title, um, having a couple of really, really good uh, triple threat title matches between himself, Funk, and Sandman. One such show on the 2nd of May resulted him working with a broken nose and actually leaving the ring to go in an ambulance. Um, there was a move in the ring where Funk called for paramedics to come to the ring because he realised something was wrong with Richards. Um, Heyman came down to the ring and was beginning talking to him, and Richard would scare, even was scared that he suffered a neck injury. The worst was feared at the time, as the ambulance arrived and Richard was stretched out of the building and taken to hospital. The prognosis was a compressed vertebrae, and he was released later the same night. He was forced to take a little bit of time off. He had about two weeks off, um, but obviously quite a serious neck injury avoided. Well, I think he was asked to take two weeks off. Whether he did or not is, a, is another question. I did read stories that he may have uh, may have done run-ins at, at subsequent shows. But yeah, Richards, who's kind of working banged up a bit at the moment, got, uh, basically took a, a, a guardrail shot to the back of the head. Um, they completed the match, and then Terry Funk and Sam Man pretty quickly realised that something wasn't quite right. But it seems like the the worst of that has been uh, availed. Um, Pitting back to Rob Van Dam, uh, the Rob Van Dam push uh, hasn't made everyone in uh, in and around him happy. So, yes, not all is tranquil in the team Fonzie. There was some concern that Sabu is not very happy with how his heel turn has been going on. Obviously, a few months ago, him turning heel was meant to be the hottest angle in ECW. And now it's pretty much being completely overshadowed by the RVD push and his subsequent turning up on WWF. And as we're going to cover this month, uh, a, a live event kind of to tape show uh, from Buffalo, their debut, very well received by not just the fans in attendance, but also the talent who were, were very impressed by the setting. Yeah, uh, so Buffalo, uh, the show was... Won the biggest house of the company, uh, drawing in 1,697 fans and getting a gross of $29,900. The building itself had a very sort of professional look to it, um, with a, a proper entrance and a definitely different setup, not the entrance in the corner where they walk through or no entrance at all as we normally see for a lot of the travelling shows. Obviously, we will get into more of the aesthetics when we go cover the show later on. Rick Rude perhaps has found his home in ECW uh, as an innuendo-laden commentator. Yeah, Rick Rude, who has been absolutely loving those double entendres recently, has been absolutely great with being the 
would you call him the sideman, the funny guy to Joey Styles uh, doing all of his TV He's the last to Joey Styles is little, let's say that. Yes. Um, obviously, with Rude being six foot four in the promotion where most of them are about six foot, he does tower over everyone. Um, what I've really liked this month um, has been his college humour, shall we say, between him and Joel Gertner, which is how they're managing to get this on TV. I know it's on late night, but some of the the double entendres are very, they're, very they're, close. They're not double entendres. They're just jokes. There's not much, <laughs> there's not much hint in much of this. The, uh, you know, for those oversized, you don't worry. The Beulah t-shirt is extremely loose. Thank you to Joel Gertner for that. Um, yeah, speaking of, uh, of Rick Rude, let's hear some of his stuff now. I have to excuse myself. I've been a little bit hungry lately. But that's all right, because I know I can get anything I want at Francine's restaurant. As far as the menu goes, the Black Angus is juicy and tender. Uh, Chris, any calls from the news before we get straight into the TV? Uh, we can go straight to the TV. You? Which starts with May the 6th in Asbury Park, New Jersey. We open the show with Bam Bam Bigelow sitting in the front row and Shane Douglas calling him out. We then get the usual sort of entrance. I must package. say it was a very we go to the Dudley's dining experience. versus Janksters and the Eliminators. And of course, but the Dudley's this time are not your usual team of Bubba and Devon as Bubba is injured. So it is Big Dick and Devon. This is the usual sort of potted highlights. As you'd expect with a Gangsters match, we have weapons rules. You see Saturn Super kicking a bin with Cronus then using an umbrella. Saturn hits the Falcon Arrow and an Acai Moonsault. Cronus hits a beautiful 450 Splash. The crowd, there's some crowd brawling where Bubba is put upon the table and Jack does what is now becoming his obligatory balcony dive. I would say, because obviously this isn't the UCW Arena, this is a show in, in Jersey, that I'd say it's about a 20-foot drop that he goes off. Yeah, um, sounds about right. Back in the ring, Big Dick chokeslams New Jack for the pin, and then Total Elimination takes out Big Big Dick for the win for the Eliminators. We get Joey Styles, who brings out his new co-host, Rick Rude. 
he puts over Joey and says that he's in extreme in commentary. We next get short highlights of Tommy Dreamer versus Corporal Punishment. Tommy in with a hip toss, an arm drag and a clothesline. And we go to an ad break. When we come back, Louis Piccoli is in the ring attacking Tommy with a broken of his cast on his broken arm. He then brings in a table and DVDs him through it and then hits the Tommy pose. We see Raven in the BWO locker room. And then we get a match between Shane and Balls Mahoney. Shane comes out cutting a promo about Funk. Uh, Balls quickly comes out swinging his chair and Shane leaves the ring and tells Balls to lose the chair if he wants it to have a title match. Balls being Balls, he nails the ref with a chair. Shane comes in with some chest clubs and Balls drops Shane on the top rope and puts on a really long headlock. Shane punches his way out and Balls hits an arm drag to an arm bar. The obligatory she's a crack whore chance aimed at Francine. Balls puts on a long head vice and into a long arm bar. Shane again punches his way out. Balls again with an arm drag and a long long arm bar. Shane kicks and hits Balls with a power slam. Balls grabs the chair and starts swinging it. Uh, Shane kicks him to the nuts and then headbutts him to the balls. It's just lovely. A foot scrape and an atomic drop gets a two count. Snapmare and a head vice. Shane goes up top but is caught by the atomic drop and then a clothesline for a two by Balls and then a corner splash for a two. Ball hits it belly to belly and gets another two count. Shane hits Balls in the Balls with his belt. A super kick and Francine protects Shane. Candido comes out and grabs the chair and whacks Balls, which gets the DQ. In comes Bam Bam. He hits Chris, then goes to help Balls up. Balls then, Bam Bam jumps him and joins the triple threat. There's a jumping headbutt off the top corner from Bam Bam, and then the Pitbulls come out to even up the odds. Shane, Chris and Bam Bam all run out. Week two opens with the end of uh, the Pitbulls versus Bam Bam and Shane Douglas. Uh, it shows Pitbull 2 hitting a powerbomb on Francine and the ref. And Rude comes out and carries her away. And you can see pretty much everything as she's hanging out of her dress. We go to Joey in the ring, who's back in ECW Arena. Who brings out Rick Rude, who again cuts one of his lovely innuendo-laid promos about Francine. We then get a match between Tommy Dreamer and Louis Piccoli. Louis mocks Tommy's pose and then hits him with the loaded cast. Punches, power slams and a baseball slide to the railings. Goes outside and hits a stun gun on the railings and chair shots. Back in the ring with more clubs but misses an inseguri. Tommy then puts him in a bulldog and the tree of woe with a dick punch. I don't know what it is this month with ECW and going for the balls. Grabs a chair and then does a baseball splide drop kick. Both men are bleeding with Tommy's punching. Outside, Tommy whips him into the railings and with more sick chair shots. An atomic drop on the railings 
in another chair shot, just for fun. Back in the ring, Tommy gets caught on the top as he's trying to give him a superplex. Tommy blocks a face buster and then turns it into a top rope cross body. But Louis rolls through this to get a two count. Louis hits a clothesline and a northern light suplex for a two. Tommy hits the Russian leg sweep, gets a two. Louis hits a spine buster for a two. And Tommy hits an insiguri for the win. After the match, though, Louis hits a nasty DVD on Beulah. Rude says no woman deserves that, and he would kick his ass if Tommy didn't. We then get Gertner mocking Rick Rude. This is the beginning of pretty much the month-long angle where, between the two of them... I suspect it's going to go on into June. Uh, I, uh, I wouldn't have this one being over this month, but yes, for the, for the foreseeable future... <laughs> The beginning of who can be the most lewd on TV and get away with it. We then see a tag team match between RVD and Sabu versus Taz and Chris Candido. RVD jumps Taz, Chris and Sabu brawl to the outside. Taz and RVD now on the floor brawling too. RVD hits a leaping sidekick off the apron and Sabu and Chris are back in the ring. Chris kicks and hits a side headlock. Sabu with a clothesline and a slingshot leg drop. Some punches. Chris hits the insiguri and Taz wants the tag. And as such, calls him a stupid motherfucker. Sabu clotheslines and gets a two count. And then a backdrop to the outside. A baseball slide. An outside whip and into the railings. And here we have the obligatory Fonzie blowing that fucking whistle. Sabu goes for the triple jump, but is stopped by Fonzie as he wants Taz to go through the table. He then goes for the triple jump again, but basically doesn't do anything because Taz has got off the table. Chris hits a plancher onto Taz. Taz comes back into the ring and batters RVD. RVD gets the underhook face crusher and a five-star frog splash with more whistling. Taz then pops straight up and hits a shoulder block and then hits the Tiger Tazplex. Sabu in an exchange of punches with Taz, tries a German, but Sabu hits a low blow and tries a head and arm, but that's blocked by Sabu also. Sabu hits a T-bone, but Taz straight up into the head and arm Tazplex. A tag to RVD and Chris then in with a kick to Sabu. They exchange punches and a springboard second rope flipping leg drop for a two count. Sabu does his obligatory throw of a chair who, I'm surprised that no one else does that as a technique. Uh, then does a chair assisted hurricane rana and a triple jump moonsault. Chris then kicks Sabu and tries a springboard of his own but gets kicked off and Taz comes in. A swinging neckbreaker and a backbreaker, a top rope headbutt but misses and hits the chair. RVD in with some kicks. Chris hits a clothesline and some punches. RVD hits a spinning back kick and a twisting leg drop. Sabu puts Chris on the top rope and RVD hits a springboard sidekick. Taz in with the Taz mission. Sabu goes to the top rope. Leg drop to break it up. Taz releases 
and then does a release dragon Tazplex. Chris has RVD on the top rope, and Fonzie hits a nut shot. RVD super kicks and superplexes Chris off. RVD throws a chair at Taz, and then hits Chris with a spin kick and bashes his head into Taz, and they both go down. Taz hits a released German Tazplex, and Chris goes for the pin while Fonzie breaks up with the chair. Celebrating, Taz, Taz grabs Fonzie until Sabu breaks it with a springboard leg drop. Back into the ring, Chris and RVD are launching each other into Taz, and Sabu whips Chris into RVD, who hits Sabu instead. Chris hits a German suplex and gets the win. RVD, at the end of the show, says he will leave to get more respect elsewhere. I was going to say more on that later in the show, more on that in volume number two, I guess. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the, the Rude Gertner stuff uh, after the show itself. So we'll move on to the Buffalo Invasion. For once, you've got me reading the results. Uh, so we start off with the Pitbulls, Pitbull 1 and Pitbull 2, defeating the FBI of Little Guido and Tracy Smothers. Balls Mahoney defeated Bill Wiles. Taz defeats Spike Dudley. Shane Douglas with Francine defeated Chris Chetty. The Dream, or Wildcard, whatever it's called, tag team match for Raven, alongside his Dream tag team partner, Steve Richards, defeating Tommy Dreamer, alongside his tag team partner, Terry Funk. Tommy Dreamer then defeated Louis Spicoli. The Eliminators, John Cronus and Perry Saturn, defeated Big Dick Dudley and Devon Dudley and the Gangsters in a three-way elimination tag team title match. And in the main event, Terry Funk defeated Raven, Steve Richards and Sandman in a four-way elimination match for the ECW World Heavyweight title. Uh, Chris, this is the show that we mentioned at the top in terms of the brand new venue and the aesthetics of it. We'll come to that in a sec. What were your thoughts on the show itself? I loved the way it looks, but the in-ring action didn't live up to the arena. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't want to say they were short on this this card, but it's pretty obvious when you hear me read it out, the amount of times you, you were hearing some of those names, there were guys kind of doing double duty and they didn't have the biggest card. And, you know, as much as this was being released for... Uh, for TV, I su- uh, for sorry for home video, I suspect they'll kind of chop this up on TV, which we to get that. So there was that. Um, but yeah, I think the, the the big talking point from a from an ECW locker room standpoint was the the setting itself. You know, the record attendance, seventeen hundred people, a, a record grossing gate, and God knows how many how much merchandise sales they would have done off the back of that. Um, but a venue that that looked quite different to a lot of the others they had in that for. Not for the first time. I think when they go to Scranton, they have a similarly high-angle, hard-camera position. But there is something about elevation that suggests a level of quality that you don't quite get when your angle is a little bit flatter, say, at the ECW Arena, or, say, at times when they're in, say, Revere or another place like that, where the camera's really low. That kind of gives it a bit more of a, a high-end feel, given that the, the, the higher camera angle implies a bigger view. They were also able to set up the entranceway directly opposite the hard camera. And because it was a, it's a little bit like MSG, really. Which you have to I was going to say, it reminded me of Madison Square Garden, especially how, if you look at some of the WF shows, um, when they obviously have the bigger events there, if you look even as far back as, say, WrestleMania 10, where it's that very short, narrow rampway, but it's synonymous with that venue, it, it gave it that sort of big-time look, especially with the raised crowd to the side of it. 
Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was I think, kind of the vision a lot of people saw, and they were able to kind of decorate the entranceway as well. They've got that kind of lighting rig they used on the pay-per-view that they, they, they bought here as well to give that that little bit of a uh, little bit of special effect. So, so yeah, I, I think, uh, Chris, what, what did you think about the, the aesthetics of the show? I think it was a, a really big sort of step up for them. Um, obviously, the ECW arena is the ECW arena, and it has a very sort of, settled look I, as I sort of say you know you know what you're going to get there um, but obviously as we've said before we like it when they go to these other venues um, it gives the show that sort of look of they're a touring brand you know they go to these different buildings it's not a sort of generic look the same everywhere and they use something of the arena or where they are to, to the betterment obviously here they had the high thing for the for the hard cam um, but I would like them to use that entrance ramp, if possible, at other places too, because it, it makes it look a bit more professional. And the fact that they're now on pay-per-view, they are now a bit more big-time, you know, it, it looks better for them as a whole. You know, in as we said, it looked like the same sort of setup that WF used for MSG, yeah, I mean, and I think one of my one of my thoughts on on the visuals was that it kind of looked like a shit WWF show from about ten years ago, which in some respects is a massive compliment. And then it kind mm. of felt like that, you know, the, if, if you're if you're a little ECW promotion, you can get to the kind of visuals that the, the big guys are having, kind of ten, you know, that that you know, in the eighties. I I, I I use that in a in a praising sense, in that I, I thought that was kind of where it was at. Um, but I, I, I disagree to a point. I mean, you know, the, the, there's only so much they can do about the entranceways because I, I, I think, you know, the reason this works because they just happened to have a stand opposite the hard cam where there was a great big gate through the middle that they could essentially push people through and there were a crowd above them to the side. That looked really nice. I don't, you know, I, I, one thing we said about ECW and about touring the different rings is that they, you know, like someone like WCW now with Nitro and Raw, do it, Raw are now doing it quite a bit as well with, with their new... Um, uh, staging area as well is that they're trying to hide these venues. They're trying to kind of make it a bit more sterile. WCW don't do don't do it so much. Um, yeah, particularly when they go on some of their quite unique locations. But I think if I'm ECW, one, you, I don't think you could afford to do it anyway. But I just embrace the venues. Like embrace venues with with you know unique intricacies and uh, you know the unique things about them. And, and this was perhaps mm. the professional look. But we see you know the the big dome they go to. I think it's in Massachusetts that looks like the inside of a brain. Don't try and hide that. Yeah. Accentuate it. I, I think as much as it's positive, I wouldn't be desperate to try and replicate this unless it fell into my lap in another venue. But just, it's, it shows that they can do of a higher standard. But as you said, you, they should still do what they are doing, which is embracing the place they're going. Because as you said, that new, the new Raw is War setup is very, very sort of bog standard big screen ramp you know it doesn't have it looks, it looks great but i get the feeling that it's you know when they've had you know when they've done rules in the past without any kind of screen you kind of open up this extra side but now they've got this giant screen effectively kind of cording off the the end of the building that's going to make venues look a little bit more similar going forward it's a pretty much a drag and drop and put it in they can go into any arena in any building in the country yes Anyway, 
let's move on. So we open up with the full-blooded Italians. That's Little Guido and Tracy Smothers with Tommy Rich versus the Pitbulls 1 and 2. We start off with a generic shouty promo from Tommy Rich and then a lot of stalling before Pitbull 1 and Guido eventually get going. Only before Rich gets on the apron and the match grinds to a halt again. On a tie-up, Rich on the apron and on a delay, Guido gets working on Pitbull 1's arm. Number two tags in and goes after Guido's arm. Pitbull 1 hits a neck breaker on Guido and Smothers dives into the ring, only to be met by a belly to belly before Pitbull 2 hits a double clothesline from the top that clears the ring. Guido reaches for a tag from Smothers who just walks away. Fans chant, pussy, pussy. Smothers eventually tags in and wants a test of strength with Pitbull 2, which he loses. Pitbull 2 hits a powerbomb on Smothers, but Guido breaks up the count. Smothers fires two into the ropes onto Tom, um, only for Tommy Rich to pull the top ropes down and then crotch Pitbull 2 on the guardrail. Two goes for a small package and Smothers runs him over the clothesline. We get a stereo power slam from the Pitbulls as the match breaks down. Pitbull 1 knocks Rich off of the apron. Smothers gets dumped to the floor. Pitbull 2 hits a massive super bomb off of the top onto Guido for the win. Chris? This was a glorified squash match which could have been five minutes shorter and wouldn't have dragged as much. Um, obviously, it's always good seeing the Pitbulls sort of do their thing and throw people around. But the beginning bit with the FBI just seemed to go on for an age with some others talking. And I don't know how they managed to do it, but they managed to make a 12-minute match seem like 25 minutes. It It wasn't good. No, um, uh, my praise for this match was perhaps how much heat they were able to get out of such a heatless situation, and probably for the first time in his four months run in ECW, I'm going to praise Tommy Rich a little, uh, in that Rich's work at ringside was able to generate an adequate level of heat, if nothing else. Um, But yeah, like you know, I don't think Guido's up to much. I'm not sure Smollers is up to much. I do still like the Pitbulls, uh, and one thing I kind of put in my notes for the site was that I think this is a reminder that we need the the Pitbulls back in the ECW tag division sooner rather than later. I know there's been injuries involved, and there's been the the big angle with Douglas, Douglas but you know we talk about we're going to have those the, those three existing teams later on. I, I'd be inclined to push those in and make it a quartet sounding for the for the tag titles. I you know Guido and Smothers are what they are. Uh, anything more, Chris? As I say, as you say, I'm putting the Eliminators back, or the yeah, the Pitbulls back in with the tag teams. Um, it would also mean that you're not getting the same triple threat match every week. Yeah. So, yeah. As soon as we can get them away from this, the better. Four teams are better than three. Move on next to Wild Bill Wiles versus Balls Mahoney. Wiles hits a couple of arm drags, a drop kick, and a dive to the outside. Despite this, fans chat, you fat fuck him. Balls whips Wiles into the guardrail. Back in the ring, Wiles comes off the second rope with a clothesline. Mahoney sends himself and Wiles to the outside, which elicits the first ECW chant of the evening. Balls does a flare chop, then follows that with a strut, which gets the crowd going. Joey Styles attempts to crown him Nature Balls. Not quite, Joey. Balls grabs a chair, smashes Wiles over the head with it, and that will do that. Chris, two for two on squash matches. It was, at least this was a bit shorter. Um, again, uh, Wild Bill, don't come back. We don't need to see you. Um, Balls is is slightly impressive, you know. I think he could sort of be in there with the Sandman sort of level of swinging stuff about and that being his his shtick. But this 
this wasn't the best of outings. No, um, you know, I, I think there's an old adage that you say that, you know, if you want to get a guy over sometimes, you, well, sometimes a lot of times you want to be able to put him in the ring with someone that's more established. I kind of wonder whether Balls is actually being helped by the fact he, you know, in this situation he wasn't, was wrestling a no name and the crowds were, crowd were more inclined to get behind him than they were Wiles. Um, but yeah, this wasn't really much of anything. I've got more to say on Balls Mahoney later in the show. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, pff- if we're going to have chair shots to the head, let's have them matches. I will say that. But, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're, you know, th- this, like a lot of ECW shows that we reviewed in the last couple of years, we're very much in the opening stages of the show at this point. Yeah, we just, let's get through a couple of matches. Let's warm the crowd up with some of our lower level acts. I think we're um, we're, we're, we're very much 2-0 and on that front. We move on to Taz versus Spike Dudley. Spike, which he, when he's introduced, starts eating the top rope, as you do, and Rick Rude has joined Terry Styles on commentary. Taz goes straight into an ankle lock, but Spike gets the ropes. Taz goes into a nice leg whip, sending Taz, uh, Spike to the mat. Taz sends Spike skywards, but Spike hits a drop kick on the way down. Taz retreats to the floor. Spike goes to the top and sort of falls off the top rope into a splash. Taz catches Spike trying to dive off the top rope and then slams him down with a whippy powerbomb. Taz hits a massive German suplex. Spike actually did a backflip. He gets back up and kicks Taz in the nuts. A couple of quick roll-ups, but he can't get the win. Spike runs up the turnbuckle and hits a bulldog for a near fall. He goes for it again, but Taz just spins around and throws him across the ring. Taz hits a T-bone suplex and then another spike gets caught on Taz's shoulders. Taz drops into the mat, locked in the submission, and that ends quickly. Chris, talking about people being tall and being short, um, they finally found their resident ECW act that's shorter than Taz. They have, and another thing with Spike is he seems to be quite happy to be lobbed about. <laughs> he, he very much doesn't seem to care because... He is the perfect size for a Taz opponent, uh, just because the Taz, Taz's suplexes look so good being done to Spike with how how he moves around. Um, as you said, there's that German where he literally does a back somersault and he catches him a couple of times and then just lobs him about. And it was actually good that Spike did get a little bit in as well. Just to, you know, even the balance up a little bit. Yeah, the, the one thing we've seen with a lot of Taz matches is that he, he is not afraid to, to give his opponents of whatever size or stature or kind of placement on the card. Generally, a little bit of offence. So there is at least that. You know, I suspect, you know, it's not the most difficult thing when you're always going to win to give your opponent a little bit. Um, mm. It, it kind of helps as well. And we have got the occasional, you know... As much as I say it helps having Taz being in the room with someone smaller, we don't mind just how small Taz is. Um, yeah, we talk about height and framing. ECW generally does a pretty good job of that. But, you know, with, with the weaknesses that come with that, you, you finally put Taz as someone that you can believably kind of chuck about and someone that's, as you say, is kind of willing to, to throw themselves around. I thought this match was okay. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that there's very little drama when something's presented like this. There was never any doubt that Taz was going to win. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, you know, it, it's what we're going to talk about, you know, Dreamer and Spicoli later on. Sometimes it's nice just to see fresh matchups. Mm. See, on ECW, we're seeing a lot on TV and they're, they're kind of touring with the same small group of guys and the same kind of programs. Sometimes just nice just to throw Taz in there with someone a bit different, even if it is just for, just for something like this. Uh, we move say, on. Oh, go on. 
with with this being obviously we've had three squash matches in a row. Um, the difference between this one and the others was you had, namely one of the big stars in a squash match, which as a way is probably a good thing for some of the bigger stars because it means you're not getting the obligatory, oh look, he's in a feud with with Sabu every week, either him against Sabu in a tag match or him versus RVD and sort of do like that. Having him have a squash is is something different for him. It sort of keeps keeps his character going as well. Because if you think back to as we were saying about the look of the show being sort of remembered of the eighties, if you look at sort of superstars on WF in sort of the late eighties, early nineties, you'd have the big name guys in squash matches, and that's sort of where you see them do all their stuff and it looks really impressive. So th- that is what this is an ECW version of it. Yeah. Just don't know how many other guys are giving a fine. That's shorter than Towers, but uh, by the by. Moving on next to the rookie Chris Chetty versus Shane Douglas with Francine. Not being content with comparing himself to Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels last month, Douglas now compares himself to Babe Ruth and Muhammad Ali. Fans start with a fuck you franchise chant. Douglas then decides he's had it off and just walks off until he doesn't. Fans then chant, she's got herpes and we're just stalling. Chetty hits a trio of drop kicks and Douglas falls to the outside. He takes a boot to the face and the Douglas hits a clothesline out of the corner. Douglas mouths off about Rude, who isn't commentating on this match, while hitting a rude awakening and then imitating his hip gyrations. Douglas locks in a leg scissor. Chetty goes to the top and misses a big leg drop. Douglas locks in a single leg crab. Chetty gets sent into the guardrail after a Francine distraction. Douglas then hits a power slam onto the unprotected floor. Back in the ring, Chetty locks in a figure four. Francine gets on the ring apron and attempts, uh, gets in the ring and attempts to break up the hole. That doesn't work, so she slaps him in the face. No DQ apparently for that. Out comes Rick Rude. Rude stands by the part of the apron where Francine is stood on. He gets a look right up it. He lifts up Francine's dress, picks her up, and then does what I can only describe as burying his face between Francine's ass as he carries her to the back. Basically, in like a a three-quarter powerbomb position would be what I'd call that. Douglas goes to the top. Chetty crotches him and then hits a real nice superplex for a near fall. A neck breaker from Chetty and another nice near fall. Chetty attacks the springboard moonsault via the top ropes but misses. Douglas hits a belly to belly and wins the match. Uh, Chris, we'll deal with the brute thing in a minute. Um, this match, not only was I pleasantly surprised, apparently it was also a match that seemed to get Chetty some props backstage. Um, yeah, um, obviously Chetty being the, the rookie and sort of not being about very much, um, we haven't really seen a great deal of him. Um, but he seems to be getting better every single show and in this against the guy Douglas who's not you know Douglas is not a foregone conclusion you're going to get a good match out of him you have to wind no, up it, it's the thing Douglas is definitely one of those of he seems to be if if he turns up and he has his working boots and he wants to play ball you can get a good match out of him but if he doesn't want to do something he won't um he seemed to have his working boots and actually wanted to play tonight. Um, Che got a decent amount of offence in, which is always really, really good to see that someone can actually get 
that sort of level of offence in against someone like a Douglas who could quite easily decide that he wasn't going to, as I said, doesn't want to play ball. Um, Shane was very much on top form in this match as well. Uh, probably the best match we've seen Shane have for a while now because obviously the the end of the Pitbulls saga was pretty much a damp squib. So it's, it's quite nice to see that Douglas hasn't sort of decided that he's bored and actually wants to try. Yeah, I think it also helps that he's got a you know, a good opponent that he can work with. Um, it also helps that they're not really interested in protecting Chetty, so Douglas can kind of work with him. But, you know, I say it quite a lot. ECW... Uh, by far better than the other two at getting guys over in clean losing causes. I think Chetty did that here. Um, but yeah, this match was quite good. You know, Douglas, Douglas is not a bad wrestler. He's not a great wrestler. Um, but he's very much in the middle. He's kind of a bit like Conan. You put him in the ring with a good wrestler and have a good match. Put him in the ring with a bad wrestler and have a bad match. Uh, fuck knows what Shane Douglas versus Conan would look like. Um, but yeah, like, I think that's, that's Douglas's level. Um, but it does mean that, you know, Douglas is not at the point where this match cannot be wrong. It, Douglas is not at the point where you would not be wrong to say that this was a surprise. Douglas is not that consistent a wrestler. You know, the one thing he's got, and some of it's, you know, cheap heat, but the one thing he's got is the ability to draw heat, which at this stage in the show is very much needed. But that in-ring, there is no in-ring guarantee with Shane Douglas, but this match, very much surprised. Um, so yeah, keep I, I think it, with Douglas. Cool. As I say, we keep going back with Douglas and his uh, quality of matches. You put him in with the a workhorse like Tully Blanchard, and you'd think you'd get a good match. And dear God, that was probably one of the worst matches we've ever seen. Not Tully Blanchard in his prime. I mean, you've seen that more than I have, but yeah. that was mitigating it. You know, I'm sure Tully Blanchard, you know, we'd hope even that you know, 95 was, was capable of more than that kind of man but yeah no I, I think you're right like you know th- th- there's th- there's there's faults on, on, on both sides on that front um let's talk about rick rude uh we're going to talk about him more later in the month uh but this is not the only time this month um uh, you know rude, rude gets paid for this let's let's just underscore all of that with he walks out and francis stood on the apron wearing a fairly short dress and he just stands underneath her and gets a look up the you-know-where, and then he pulls her off the apron onto the floor, and then he kind of almost powerbombs her, and then as she gets kind of most of the way up for a powerbomb, he just buries his face in her ass, and then just walks to the back. And just a reminder that he did get paid for this. It's not the worst gig in the world. No. um, As I said... They, he he really did, you know, get a face full. You know, I can imagine that he's got some explaining to do at home. Because, you know, if his wife has seen that, I wouldn't imagine she's overly happy. But what can you say? It's a hard job that someone has to do. It certainly is. I think we saw... Uh... On the WWF this month, where you've got two guys that are laying in a bit more heavy than normal in Ken Shamrock and Vader. I think this was Rick Rude's way of laying it in a bit more heavy. Um, yeah, I, 
It's just like the the the, the more I think about the Rude thing, the, the less sense it makes. It makes no sense anyway. Like you know, they've had Rick Rude around for about four or five months now. Then fuck all with it, and they just go, oh fuck it, let's just aim at like a perv. But, you know, and it's like, well, you know, it it, it if yeah, the, the, it's the right audience for it. It's the right guy for it. Um, this this kind of thing with Joel Gertner is a bit weird. Um, but yeah, like the the whole thing with Douglas is, you know, that that's ongoing. But anyway, we move on. And up next, it's Raven with well, some blonde, a bloke, and an inflatable doll that Joey Styles calls Missy Hyatt versus Tommy Dreamer with Bueller. They're advertising this as a dream tag team partner match. Dreamer picks Terry Funk. Gordon then punches the dude, uh, then asks Raven for his pick. Raven picks Stevie, because, well, fuck it, why not? He then tells Richards to leave his retarded flunkies in the back. And so it's our dream tag team match with Raven and Steve Richards versus Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk. Raven shapes to start with Dreamer and then just tags in Richards. Raven gets on the mic and tells Richards he doesn't want any of his stupid fans to chat BWO, which, of course, they immediately do. Nice, obvious bit of heat there from Raven. We get a triple block hit toss attempt as Dreamer and, uh, Dreamer and Richards stall in the ropes. Raven has more words than Richards who ends up shoving him. Funk and Dreamer go after Richards, giving the relative star power in the match and a surprising lack of heat compared to prior matches. Funk hits a sit-out neckbreaker on Richards. He throws Richards into Raven's corner. Richards asks for the tag. Raven responds by saying, Are you going to fight like a man or a piece of shit? Richards then tags himself out. The match breaks down, Raven lobs himself onto Terry Funk and through the ringside table. Funk sells the table spot for about 15 seconds as all four end up in the crowd. Drea puts both men back in the ring and Funk throws a chair in, but Raven throws it back at his face. Raven does a drop toe hold onto Funk onto a chair. Raven asks Richards for a tag who obliges reluctantly. Richards then pile drives Funk. Richards and Raven are starting to function The broken table gets put into the ring Funk kind of falls into it And the Raven puts him through it Funk is playing dead again Richards goes for a leg lock attempt Raven gets on the mic and says How the hell are you going to beat him with that? Tag me the fuck back in, idiot Raven then hits a DDT Richards puts in the spinning toe hold Raven jumps in and the pair have a shoving match Raven DDTs Richards And then goes for a spinning toe hold on Funk then we get a ref bump. Dreamer hits a DDT, covers Raven, but of course there's no ref. And out comes Louis Spicoli. Spicoli sets Funk for the Death Valley driver. Steve Richards hits the best superkick in wrestling and pins Terry Funk. Uh, Chris, a lot of star power, but perhaps not quite the match that it, it, it perhaps would have warranted. Yeah, um, it's this, this match is weird because Raven's amazing in it, but not in the wrestling sense. He's amazing with his character work and being a manipulative arsehole. Funk's his usual level of funk, but doesn't seem to really want to sort of do a great deal. Tommy doesn't have a great showing, and Stevie is what he is for most matches, is the shining star in here. So, you know, it really wasn't a sum of its parts. I don't know whether, obviously we know Raven's on his way out, but and whether he just doesn't want to do the in-ring work with his character, because obviously he doesn't want to get hurt or anything like that, I don't know. But they all seem to phone it in a little bit, in the ring. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, Raven's never been a great wrestler. Um, you know, the, the the Raven thing's always been about the character more. It's been about the in ring work. And see, you've got Stevie Rich in the match. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bemoan anyone saying let's have Richards do the bulk of the work. Um, you know, but yeah, Funk is Funk. He, he's the old warhorse who's still trying. And 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 Dreamers, you know. I'm going to praise Dreamer having a fresh opponent later in in the show that I'm not going to be able to do here. So there's that. Um, but I quite like this. I mean, the the one thing that's very much changed. We kind of spoke about this over the last couple of months. The one thing that's changed is very clear. The guy they're pushing in amongst these four is Stevie Richards, um, and that's been something that they've been trying to frame. And you know, having Richards kind of go toe to toe with Bunk, who's ostensibly their number one guy, pin him, interference or otherwise, again, and kind of have him in this setting alongside three more tenured ECW names is certainly very sensible. Um, and Richards, but at these days, is by far the best worker of the four. I mean, yeah, Funk's Funk to a point. Um, yeah, Funk, Funk, oh, it's Funk going through his, in some respects, he's you know, on parallel compared to the rest. But in terms of the in-ring athleticism, Richards is by far and away the best of the four. Um, and it just about came off, you know, like, I, I don't mind. I'd rather have Raven telling, you know, Richard's tag with the fuck back in, idiot, than having him working for a few more minutes. So there's mm. that. Um, what did you think about... Because, you know, as I say, this was released for home video, but, you know, uh, who, who worked twice? There are three of them. No, they all worked again, didn't they? Um, yeah. Yeah, because Raven, Richards, and, and Funk were in the main event with Sam and Dreamer works for Kelly later in the show. I guess just because they were short of guys. Um, I don't think that was necessarily the worst idea in the world. No, um... It's one of those. It obviously it shows that there's they're either working with a, a limited roster or they're not taking everyone out when they're doing touring shows. Um, and if you're gonna have four guys doing double duty, you might as well have your four biggest names doing double duty, so that the fans in attendance obviously feel that they're getting the best end of, of the deal, I suppose, because obviously, you know, if you're if you're there to see the stars of ECW, you'd want to see Funk, you want to see Dreamy, you want to see Raven and Stevie, getting them twice in one night, your luck's in. Yeah. Um, I'd rather see this guy twice than, than see them trying to pad out the car with a, a match or two more between guys that they're people haven't got much investment in. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm largely in agreement with that. We've got next, the Eliminators, Perry Saturn and John Cronus versus the Dudley Boys, Devon and Big Dick Dudley with Joel Gertner and Bubba Ray versus the Gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa for the ECW Tag Team Titles. Gangsters are out to begin with. Saturn starts against Big Dick and hits a lovely turtle while heads. We get a pair of tags and Devon sucks Dick dueling chance. Devon hits a soft close on and Cronus who immediately kips up. Boa gets some shots and on Cronus on the ringside table. Big Dick then plants Saturn through crows through the table. Here come the gangsters and their usual bin of weapons, including a guitar which Big Dick wears. Whole match completely breaks down. Gert is involved, Bubba's involved, nobody's in the ring. Cronus hits a 450 splash onto Devon. Saturn runs off to the top with a kick to Devon, then a slam on Bubba Ray. Saturn hits a big elbow drop on Bubba. Saturn's still working on Bubba with a big moonsault onto his broken ankle. We get a couple of roundhouse kicks from the Eliminators onto Devon. But Mustafa and Devon have bloodied heads as Cronus dances around with an umbrella and then hits Big Dick with it. 
Cronus gets the croquet mallet. Of course he does. Goes nuts with it, half clearing the ring. Saturn's brawling with Bubba in the crowd. Bubba sends him into a fire escape, which doesn't open. And New Jack hits Devon with a stop sign. New Jack goes to the second rope and hits a diving headbutt onto Devon. The Eliminators hit a series of kicks to Devon and New Jack hits them with a stop sign. Saturn hits a big splash onto New Jack who somehow kicks out. New Jack and Saturn close line each other. The Eliminators whip Mustafa and Big Dick into each other. They square off and start punching each other. The Eliminators are all credit in the world for trying. They hit a double total elimination on the pair. We get a stereo cover and both teams are eliminated as the Eliminators retain the titles. O'Ray gets in the ring after the match and eats a total elimination for his troubles. I'll give you the total elimination credit for trying. Didn't really work. Um, Chris, I mean, we call this a three-way tag match, but it was essentially two-on-two-on-four. Uh, Bo Ray Dudley being out of action with an ankle injury basically played a bigger part in the match than either of his two tag team partners. Um, what do you think of this? Um, it's standard fare, which we've seen for the last month or so now. Um, it just seems to be that these three teams just keep put, getting put in triple threat matches. Um they start with some wrestling until the gangsters turn up, and then it turns into the obligatory weapons brawl. Um, I did quite like the fact they did the, or attempted to do the double total elimination and get, obviously, a double pin to make it a different sort of finish than what we have been having. But it is, as you said, we could quite happily do with getting the, the pit balls in here to sort of mix this up a bit because this is getting a little bit stale. Yeah, um, I think this is one of those things. Occasionally, I do have to remind everyone that obviously we are just reviewing all of these live events, and ECW are very picky about what goes on on, on TV and what doesn't. So the, the the viewing audience for this match is going to be the people in attendance and the people buying the home videos. Um, so I do have to say that, and that, that kind of partly comes back to what I said earlier about kind of a lot of guys doing double duty. This was fine. It was it was exactly the the standard match I would expect it from these well eight really. Eliminators um, do a lot of the work. New Jack and Mustafa are New Jack and Mustafa, and the Dudleys are a team that they're trying, still trying to establish. Eliminators um, continue to be excellent. I still continue to be surprised that nobody's really tried to sign them. Uh, I know there's a whole thing with the contracts, but you know. They are probably the best tag team in North America right now. I can't work out whether they're only playing crowds of 1,500 people, but there we are. Um, match was fine, but yes, I'd be in agreement. You know, this, uh, you know, some of it lends itself because the gangsters are involved. Um, but, you know, let's let's have an Eliminators Pitbulls program with a bit more, you know, of an emphasis on some, some good back-and-forth power-based wrestling. I think that would be quite nice. Um, you know, if you want to have the gangsters and the Dudleys do a bit more of a brawling type thing, I think that might be good for the next couple of months just to, to freshen things up a bit. But Alfonso introduced himself as the manager of Mr. Monday Night, Rob Van Dam and Sabu. Alfonso said he's going to make it his effort to have ECW banned from Buffalo. Out comes Todd Gordon. He says they love Buffalo and they'll be coming back soon. Cheap pop for that. Alfonso says he's going to give Gordon a count five to get out the ring. Alfonso turns his back and Gordon kicks him in the nuts and it's a real nice clothesline for the locker room empties to break them up. Alfonso gets a lead away but Gordon charges after him and the segment ends. Um, Chris, not for... You know, we've now got Alfonso and Gordon feuding. We've got, you know, uh, Rude and Gertner feuding. Um, uh, you know, it's not to say you have to have just the one, but two non-wrestler programs. I don't know that it's ideal. Um, 
I think this, as you were saying, was very much more for the live audience, but also seeing what comes in TV later in the month with Gordon suspending RVD and Fonzie being one of, or RVD being one of Fonzie's guys, it sort of makes a little bit more sense, but yeah, it it was a bit of a waste of time on a on a two hour show. Nice angle for TV. I I, I wouldn't mm. suspect more than anything else. But yeah, I actually you know I, I'd rather use this time and focus getting over guys in the ring. But there we are. Next up, it's Louis Spicoli versus Tommy Dream with Beulah McGillicutty. Spicoli comes out wearing a Beulah T-shirt. He says he and Raven beat the shit out of Rita earlier backstage. Then calls Beulah a cunt. Why not? The ref begins to count, but Dreamer's music hits before the 10. We quickly go to the floor. Dreamer gets sent into the guardrail multiple times. Dreamer hits a superplex from the top, spills to the outside, and it's Piccoli's turn to get thrown into the guardrail, and into the crowd we go. We get by a wall. Dreamer sends Piccoli into a far exit, and the doors open up, but he thinks better of it. Instead, they climb the empty set of bleachers where the hard cameras are. We get right to the top. There's no fans in this section at all. Dreamer finds a table that just happens to be laying at the top of it, props it up against the rail, and then just shoves Piccoli through it. Spicoli then sends Dreamer tumbling down the bleachers. Spicoli drags him back towards the ring and grabs a chair. Bueller gets involved. Dreamer grabs the chair, but Spicoli pulls Bueller into harm's way. Bueller winds up and hits a massive low blow with a foot. Dreamer then hits the DDT and picks up the win. After the match, Spicoli hits a Death Valley driver. Chris, um, we talk about the venue being... You know, beneficial to the show. Um, I think this was the match that was only really the only real match that really used the venue to any major degree. And I think, in part, that was probably the reason why this was the best match on the show. Yeah. Um, they obviously it worked as it should do. This is a heated rivalry. You know, last week on TV, we've just seen Louis do the DVD on Bueller, and obviously she comes out collared in this obviously showing that she has a neck injury these two want to hurt each other so yeah it makes sense that they're having arena brawl um it is really good obviously they had that empty section because that's where they had the hard cam and all all that sort of stuff so using it to its full full potential with what was a nasty fall down the bleachers by dreamer um obviously the first few that he went down, he sort of pushed himself, but he didn't need to push himself for the further ones because he could stop at the bottom. Um, Credit to yeah, Dreamer for, for, for pulling that off. That wasn't, yeah. the, that wasn't the safest spot to go rolling down what must have been about 15, 20 rows of bleachers. Uh, and he, yeah, he made it look pretty dangerous, but I don't think he did any damage. But yeah, as I say, that's, this is why going to different places and using the venue can really, really work because as a visual, it was impressive. Yeah. Um, decent match. I, I think we talk about guys being in fresh matchups. This is the freshest Dream has felt for, for a year, perhaps longer. You know, it just feels that Dream has just been feeling with Raven and Brian Lee for the past 12 months. I'm sure it's not entirely true. 
Um, and you know, maybe they are just feuding over a click hand gesture for, for what that's worth. So there's that. But it is nice to see Dreamer in a new feud that feels fresh, that feels separated from everything else. In in the ring with a guy that I think complements him quite well. That they're both quite similarly sized, but Spicoli's more of a of a worker than the Dreamer, the brawler. Um, and yeah, yeah, they have this you know, match, as we said, you know, you, you're going to have this arena, I think it pays to showcase it in at least one match, and I thought they showed quite a lot of restraint, not to really have the other matches spill outside too far, with perhaps the exception of the previous one. But yeah, it, it, that's a memorable spot, we're going to remember that spot at the end of the year, we're going to remember them going up to the bleachers and Dreamer getting thrown down, so you know, that's good. Um, but yeah, I think this was the best match of the night, you know, it's... It, it, it's not a particularly high bar, but there we are. And on to the main event. It's Raven versus Terry Funk versus Salmon versus Steve Richards in an elimination match for the ECW World Heavyweight title. The woman they're calling Chastity grabs the mic and asks the fans if they want to see her tits. She doesn't. That was worth it. Salmon arrives by the top of the bleachers and his entrance takes forever. We finally get going. I'm not even sure Funk's here yet as Raven throws Salmon into the guardrail. Here comes Funk. Funk goes after Richards. Funk gives him a rap and sends Richards into the crowd. Raven sends himself and Funk in after. Salmon hits a running guillotine leg drop onto Richards on the guardrail. Richards lobs the chair at Salmon who ducks. Salmon drapes Richards over the top rope and hits the world's most dangerous leg drop onto Richards. Raven hits Salmon with a DDT. He then tries to give orders to Richards. Richards has had enough. He Stevie kicks Raven. Salmon crawls over and pins Raven for the first elimination. Funk hits a neck breaker onto Richards. Both Funk and Salman pin him, but he kicks out. Funk follows that with a sit-out neck breaker, another double cover, another kick out, a, du- uh, a double spike pile driver, and Richards still kicks out. Salman walks off and grabs a piece of the guardrail. He can't get it free, so all the security to do it for him, which is quite good. Funk puts the guardrail on his back and then does an airplane spin. Stevie winds up and hits the Stevie kick onto Salman and eliminates him. Funk smashes a bit of guardrail over Richards' his head. That was the, the injury spot we spoke about in the news. Funk pins him, and interestingly enough, that gets some booze. Chris, I mean, I, I think from a from an in-ring action perspective, or out of ring in some respects, the spicoli Drea match was probably the best of the night. Um, but from a storytelling standpoint and a storyline development front, I think this is the one that takes that crown. Um, yeah, this is, again, Stevie shining through. Um, it's one thing they've definitely done with with Stevie, especially in this last sort of six months or so, is since he started with the Blue World Order stuff, he's become a bona fide star in this company. And the way they keep using him, hopefully he stays and gets a title run. And now that Raven's off, I, I hope that they do something with him because... It's been well-deserved, because as you say, pretty much most shows this past sort of six to eight months, when you see either the BWO or just Stevie on his own, you know at least you've got something that's going to be of a decent quality. Um, Sandman, I don't know whether... We, I've just got to get to the point where I have to accept that this is the Sandman and this is all he will ever be. But... I don't get why he's the top of the card with how awful he is. 
We're so over. Yeah. I mean, that's that's always been it, isn't it? I mean, the entrance is so yeah. fucking long, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, don't get it wrong. Like, it it might wear out the Philadelphia fans, but this is the first time they're in Buffalo. There's going to be a lot of people that never seen it live before. Um, even if it is 60% entrance, that can work. Yeah, but I'm a massive Metallica fan, but I don't want to keep hearing Enter Sandman on repeat over and over again in an arena. That's you know, a long when- song. It, it's a long song, but the fact of how long it took him to get down, it went twice. <laughs> you know, that it's says a lot. When, uh, when Shawn Michaels' music restarts, right? It's not quite like that. <laughs> That's just as bad. <laughs> and the, the one thing that we have learned from this is that railings are not a good weapon. They, they do overdo the railing shots, don't they? I mean, I know it's there. Um, and I know, you know, they, 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 well, they overdo everything, really, where weapon shots are concerned. Um, but, you know, it is like a... It is a crutch for a lot of these guys, isn't it? Oh, let's go to the outside, let's crotch somebody on the rail, let's throw someone into it. You know, it's like a it's like a punch in most wrestling matches, ECW's mm. use of guardrails. Um, although, yes, I, I did like the, the added dimension of Samman not being able to pull the guardrail free and then asking security to do it for him. Um, yeah. You know, which is a, you know, one way of getting around it, I suppose. Novel. Yes, certainly that. Yeah, I, you know, I mean... It, you know, uh, they they weren't really, really hard riches in this match. Having him super kick Raven, someone pinned him, but, you know, the implication being that Steve Richards' super kick put out Raven, which job done. You know, if, if uh, you know, I suspect they're going to do Raven and Dreamer, but I think it would probably make sense they're going to do Raven and Richards at some point in the next couple of months. Um, so that was that was quite nice. And we had the, th- the two-on-one bit with Funk and Sandman trying and failing to put away Richards. Um, and then Stevie eliminating Sandman, and then Funk smashing Rich over the head. Uh, very well booked, but um, we talk about the, the softening reaction to Funk. This may have been by design. I don't know. I don't know how much they would have done that, but Funk hitting Richards over the heads with a guardrail, um, and the crowd booing. I mean, possible that was just circumstantial. Possible they just thought, ah, oh, I could have done with a few more minutes back and forth. Um, I, I don't believe... Uh, it should be said, I, I believe the finish was the finish. I don't think they cut the match short because of Richards being injured. I think Funk works out so it was wrong Richards after the match. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I thought as a, 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 for, for one night, they pushed Richards about as hard as they could, and I think it just about worked. Yeah. Um, it, said, it looked good for Richards the way that he's been used in this, especially in this, this match tonight. Um, I think the reason Funk was booed is because the people are behind Stevie so much. I don't think it's a they've they've had enough of Funk. I think it is just a a found love of Stevie. Yeah, Chris, overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of ten. It's two hours of pretty lackluster show. Um, there's only sort of two matches that. I'd probably watch again. The rest of it is missable. Four out of ten. Yeah, I went in at a five. Um, you know, it's uh, it's not an offensive watch by any stretch. There's nothing out of here, nothing here going out of your worth going out of your way to see. Um, but you know, I, I thought given the resources they had and given the the, the nature of the show, uh, they did just about as well as they could. 
Um, so yeah, five out of ten, not great, not bad, but I think yeah, perhaps gets a little bit of a nod for being in the setting that it was in, and also to the uh, to this point being ECW's highest ever attendance. I, mean, I think they're going to look to try and break that in the next few months. Um, talk about doing the next pay per view away from the ECW arena, so they might break that in in pursuit of that. But for now, that's worth a little bit, so I'll give it a five out of ten. I was born in Philadelphia. I grew up all my life in a small neighborhood called Port Richmond. I graduated from Central High School. I remember my high school years, especially one Friday night when I did my homework. As soon as I got home, I, I wanted to just get to the Civic Center and I wanted to see Tully Blanchard and Ron Anderson defend the World Tag Team titles against my favorite tag team, the Midnight Express. That was September 10th, 1988. I'll never forget that day. The Midnight Express won the tag team titles. And I remember seeing them with the belts over their heads in the middle of the ring. I said to myself, I want to be a professional wrestler. Because all the pain and the suffering that I had throughout my high school years the only time I ever felt good, the only time I ever felt fulfilled, is when I was some part of the sport of professional wrestling. I couldn't explain it. It was instinctive. And I thought to myself, I just don't want to be a professional wrestler. I want to be a superstar in wrestling. I want to walk down the street and have some kids say, Hey, you're Stevie Richards. Wow, you had a great match last week. You're my favorite wrestler. Can I have your autograph? Wow. Can I, a kid have my autograph? It's a high that cannot be explained. I remember the first day I walked into wrestling school and the guy said to me you don't have what it takes brother <laughs> that wasn't the first time someone told me that I couldn't do something of course that wasn't the first time I didn't listen to somebody but man for years and years and years I dreamed and I dreamed and I dreamed and I got down on my hands and knees and I prayed to God, please God, give me a chance. So my opportunity came along in 1995. There was a man who came along and offered to teach me. He taught me. And he abused me. And he slapped me. And he spit on me. And he humiliated me. I sold out. But not the kind of selling out that everybody's used to these days. I didn't sell out to the World Wrestling Federation. I didn't sell out to World Championship Wrestling. I sold out 
right in front of everybody's eyes. And ECW. I had a man abuse me for two and a half years. Until I finally came up with an idea of my own. I came up with a symbol of my pain. And now I have an opportunity to end my pain. Raven, you will never ever end your pain because I really don't think you want to. Stevie Richards wants nothing more than to put everything in the past and live a normal, fulfilling life. And the only way I can see myself doing that is to step into ECW Arena on June 7th and become the World Heavyweight Champion. The hometown kid, Stevie Richards who lives 10 minutes away from the ECW arena becoming a world heavyweight champion. It's mind-boggling. I'd be lying if I said that I would see this day, that I knew this day would come because I never ever gave myself that much credit. And Terry Funk, I give you all the credit in the world. I admire you. Oh, my, my heart pours out for you. I have so much admiration for you. So much respect. There isn't even a word. It's limitless how much respect I have for you. If I had my choice of mentors and knew then what I know now, it would have been a no-brainer. I would beg you to be my mentor. But now, not only do I bring all the admiration in the world for you, Terry, not only do I bring all the respect in the world to you on June 7th, I bring a whole world of pain and fulfill my dream of becoming the world heavyweight champion in my hometown. Chris, two weeks of TVs to go. We've got Rick Rich to discuss. I've got a little bit to say about Balls Mahoney, but let's crack on with that. So, into week three's TV from the 19th. Opens with the Shane versus Chris Chetty match from Buffalo and the Taz Spike match. We then get Rick Rude being rude about Francine and saying that he's had to give her mouth-to-blouse resuscitation. We then get quite an interesting little highlights package of pretty much all the other matches from the Buffalo card. We then get Raven uh, cutting a promo about how Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, and Kurt Cobain never had to sell out. 
but in the 90s, it's fashionable to sell out. How could you, RVD? We then get, which I think is a really, really well done section of multiple jump cuts to everyone giving reactions to the RVD being on Raw. The Pitbulls say they will kick RVD and Sabu's ass for selling out. Sandman says he'll give up fags and booze to get in the ring for RVD for just five minutes. Funk says RVD has given away his freedom. Douglas says the WWF stands for We Want Franchise, but they'll take you instead. Louis asks him to say hi to Sean and Hunter. Tommy warns him of a slow killing. And Dudley's call him a piece of crap. Also in his tirade, they called Terry Funk, Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, the Gangsters and the Eliminators pieces of crap. We then see Todd Gordon, who suspends RVD with no pay for an indeterminate amount of time. We then end the show with the Raven, Stevie, Dreamer, Funk, pick your partners tag match. Week 4 TV from the 26th of May opens with Taz double Tazplexing a pair of jobbers and then putting them into submission, Taz missions each. He proclaims himself the baddest motherfucker in wrestling. Styles asks if Sabu will follow RVD in leaving the company. We then get an amazing Stevie promo. Uh, in this, it goes through his whole life, um, talking about going to see uh, the Midnight Express against the Horsemen in 1988. Uh, says that from that point, he wanted to be a wrestler, and the only time that he was above the bullies, he wanted to be a star and have kids ask him for his autograph one day. Um, he did some training and he was basically told that he doesn't have what it takes. He prayed to God to give him a chance and in 95 he had a mentor that slapped, spat and put a beer on him. And he was abused for two and a half years. That person was Raven. He will end Raven's pain but he will try to become the world champion. He admires Funk and has unlimited respect for him. And he will try to become champion in his hometown. You then see Meanie saying that Stevie can't leave the BWO. We then get a tag team match between the Dudleys, Bubba Ray and Devon, versus Spike and Mikey Whipwreck. Spike comes out of a chair... And a massive fuck you Devon chant starts. Bubba and Spike start, and Bubba does, hits a huge beal, a flapjack, a press slam. Spike hits an arm drag and then into an arm bar, and double drop kicks on Devon, and Mikey comes in and launches Spike at Bubba, and then hits a somersault plancher onto Devon on the outside. Mikey with a hip toss, an arm drag, and a drop kick into an arm bar. Devon in with a clothesline, and tags in Bubba, who hit, they've hit double shoulder blocks and this double suplex for a two count. 
Tag to Spike, who comes in with some forearms, knees the snapmares and hits a Hurricane Rana for a two. Bubba hits the Boss Man Slam and gets a two. Tags in Devon, who hits a second rope leg drop. A twisting back elbow by Spike is then countered by Devon with a power slam for a two. A double suplex, and then Bubba hits a power bump. Spike hits a ball punch on Bubba to get a two count. Bubba slams Spike. Uh, him and Mikey hit double drop kicks and hurricane runners into a plancher onto Bubba on the outside. Bubba gets a chair and smashes round Mikey, then back into the ring to hit the 3D on Spike for the win. After the match, Mikey hits the Dudleys with a chair until Big Dick comes down and choke slams him. Faces come out to try and stop, but they all get a beat down by all of the Dudleys until Balls Mahoney comes out, swinging a chair. He hits Bubba and Devon with really good chair shots and then cracks Big Dick five times in the skull. Balls makes an open challenge and says he will even lie he will even lie down. No one comes out until he holds up a beer. Guess who won the pony? Who will come out for a challenge when beer's involved? That's right, here comes the Sandman. The winner of this match gets a cold Budweiser. I dunno, that that had been tucked inside balls and how cold it was. Well, they claim it's cold, but I I would hold my doubts too that it's it's going to be a cold one. I d- I, I doubt Sandman's that picky though. <laughs> a beer's a beer. It is. So Sandman with his cane, canes balls. Balls hits the chair. They basically swing at each other lots. There's a leg drop onto the chair by balls for a two count and another chair shot and a slam and they go to the second rope with the chair gets another two punches by Sandman and an atomic drop Balls uses some punches a baseball slide onto the chair into into Sandman's face they go to the outside with more punches and he uses the timekeeper's hammer basically as a shiv to stab into his skull Sandman manages to get some punches until he gets whipped into the railing. Back into a chair shot, but misses a DDT. Sandman, back in the ring, hits DDT and gets a two. Sandman grabs his cane and batters balls. Out come the Dudleys. They jump balls and Sandman. And then into the ring and they hit a 3D. Big Dick hits a chokeslam on balls. Out comes Tommy to get the advantage until Louie comes out. There's a massive brawl until Terry Funk comes in and clears most of the ring. Stevie out, super Stevie kicks Funk and poses as we go off the air. Yeah, I think that was the the TV version of uh, basically what we what we kind of discussed in terms of the idea of trying to present Richards as the the, the number one guy. Um, Let's start with Balls Mahoney. Um, Chris, ECW is the land of uh, violence and weapon shots, and it feels like this is the first, maybe not the first, you know, Sabu's done shit with tables, etc., etc. But the first really overt way, 
second, actually, salmon with a cane. The second really overt way of basically trying to get someone over basically with a gimmick. Gimmick just being, the balls is both going to take and dish out big-ass chair shots. Um, He's basically Sandman. Is this the least, the the, the kind of smallest comedy animator booking? You know, like, is it, do do we give them credit for taking someone like Balls and saying, let's, let's give them, let's try and give him something more than the sum of its parts? Or is it just ECW kind of having a race to the bottom when it comes to, to talent health, when it comes to booking creativity, when it comes to, you know, safety? What, What do you think? As I say, this is basically Sandman without the entrance and a chair instead of a cane. Um, and a beer. Uh, and a beer. Um, the difference is, uh, Balls looks like he could do a little bit more in the ring and doesn't sort of seem to be winded within the first few minutes of any match. Is there anything else to Balls? I don't know, because obviously we haven't really seen it, because all we have seen is either him in the matches against Sandman where it is weapon versus weapon and swing what you can and what you've brought to the table or pretty much squash matches where he gets in a little bit of wrestling offence, smacks him with a chair and wins. I hope that Paulie has more about him than just to go, oh look, let's make Sandman point two but with a guy with a chair. But I suppose the problem is with this, it's uh, you sort of have to look at the long term of what he's doing with it. Because you'd hope that it isn't that sort of lowest denominator of let's be violent for the sake of violence, because we already have that with people like Everyone. the Eliminators, yeah, the, the Gangsters, and that sort of tag team thing that's going on. It, it's one of those of, with him, I think we have to look at it in a few months down the line to sort of see if they do change anything or if this is going to be what he is. Because obviously we've only really had him about for the last sort of two, two and a half months. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I think from a, from a raw sense of getting Balls Mahoney over, I think it will help. I think in the short term it will create quite an interesting angle, certainly something quite different. It's not about titles or about rivalries, it's just about toughness. And we've seen that with, with Tommy Dreamer before. You can get a guy over by showing he's tough. Um, the big question from an anatomical standpoint is whether there is a legitimate danger with steel chair shots unprotected to the head versus, say, a cane shot unprotected to the head not that I'd like to take a cane shot, but you know, I, I don't know that they're necessarily quite as bad in that, you know, they're you know the there's generally a bit more give in them. I'm no doctor. I guess to a point we'll see. But I think it's the it's the bigger point that we discussed before. It's ECW kind of watering down their own gimmick. Like, you know, the the more this becomes about chair shots, the less each chair shot matters when it becomes just, you know, let's see who can who can handle the most. And that mm. becomes problematic after a while. This is like the the, the nine one one choke something. Those moves were relatively safe. This probably isn't. Um, so that's a concern. But yes, I think in a in a short term exercise in terms of is Balls Mahoney better off because of this angle? Yes, probably. 
Um, will his opponent's foreheads be? I don't know. Um, and then the final discussion topic of the month is Rick Rude, as we kind of alluded to throughout the show. Um, Chris, it's been five months now, and if you've listened to well, you if if listeners have, have heard me over these last string of shows, will know that I've been pretty perplexed by what they've done with Rude. I think this is. You know, perhaps the most conventional use of Rude. It's certainly more conventional than sticking under a mask and having people won't recognise his fucking voice. Um, but, you know, it, I know he's not active as a performer, but I feel like of all the things you could have done with Rick fucking Rude, I don't know that having him being a comedy, you know, innuendo-laden character to oppose Joel Gertner, of all people is really the best use of your investment to a point whether it gets over or not because there's so many better things you probably could do with it. You say that, but the first four months of it were completely wasted. Um, obviously, I know he had his, his his holiday where he you know disappeared off screen for a little while. Um, the whole mask man thing at the beginning really fell on its ass. So, I mean, this this way he can still do what his ultimate goal is meant to be at this point, which is fuck with the franchise by fucking with Francine. And I don't know whether it's just my sense of humour, but I'm I'm enjoying the stuff that he's doing on TV. You know, it it's quite good to have that sort of level of comedy, which doesn't sort of you know, take away from the whole sort of edge of the product because you want something edgy with it being extreme and but, his but level of humour. But isn't this... Like, couldn't anyone do this? Like, you've got Rick Rude, like, the, probably the best promo in wrestling right about now. Very possibly. Like, Joel Gertner can do the, the dick jokes. You know, there's plenty of guys that can do dick humour. I don't know that it... You know, I don't know that it's a glowing endorsement of Rude that he is good at doing something very juvenile and very easy. It's like, of all the things you could be doing with Rick Rude, like, just because he's good at it doesn't mean it's the, getting the best out of him, surely. No, um, but again, it's it's still better than what we did have. Um, the problem is, I don't know what you do with Rude. Um, obviously, because he can't work. You know, you can't put him in the ring because he can't take bumps because of, obviously, his back issues. Um, you could have... I, I don't know even if you put him, Surely. I suppose, but if you think... Who's the only manager in, in ECW that sort of, to a point, is actually over or does anything, is Fonzie. And... I mean, he only works because the level of heat that he gets, because he is such an annoying cunt that you just want to batter him. I don't think whoever you would put Rude with would either, A, get sympathy, because I think he would overshine if he was to be managing a baby face. And I also think you you wouldn't feel anger against whoever his protege was if he was being the heel side because 
you know that he, he's never going to get his comeuppance because he can't be in the ring. So it, it's one of those of you've got this great guy that you could really do a lot with, but you can't do a lot with because of his physical limitations. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been agree with There's no obvious thing to do with Rude. There's no obvious guy to pair him with, I guess. Um, you know, I don't know that him cutting dick jokes and doing... Um, and, and having kind of segments alongside Joey Styles being about a foot and a half tall necessarily helps anybody out. Um, you know, particularly Styles, you know, will cut pros with other guys and seems to be contemporary. It makes, it makes Rude look huge. It makes everyone else look small. Um, yeah, I, I, I just guess that, you know, there's... To, to me, like I, I'd find a way of harnessing Rude's promos. Even if it's opposite a guy like Douglas, that could be hella entertaining. Even if it's opposite a guy like Fawzi, mm. that could be entertaining. Him doing pre-tape back and forth with John Gurner, it's like is that is that getting you know is this is this memorable in a good way? And I don't know that it is. Um, yes, I would agree. It is better than what they did January through March. Whether it's any good, I still don't know. I mean, it's entertaining, and the guy's popular, but it's like, it's Rick Rude. Like, you know, you, you, you mm. get gut or other guys think jokes. So anyway. Thinking about it, right, take Rude as he is in his condition he is now with his limitations of what he could do. Could you do better with him in the Fed or in WCW? Uh, what, yes, put him with NWO? Well, well, you could put him with anyone. I mean, the, 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 the difficulty thing I think you're getting at, and you don't necessarily... You're not necessarily biting up the wrong tree. So there's no obvious guy to put Rude within any CW. I think if you were to look at him managing, so, you know, Rick Rude and Hunter Hearst Helmsley could be a lot of fun. I know, I know Helmsley's got the China thing going on now. That could work. And there's a lot of guys, Rick Rude and, say, Dean Malenko, that could work. Um, you know, guys like that, guys that need the promo help, um, that would work. Yeah. Um, you know, it's difficult. Like, you'd love to have a guy like Rude as a, as a wrestler again. You'd love to. Guy can walk into ECW and be their champion in about five minutes. But he's not, so you can't. So you'll just have to work something out, really. You'll just have to find a way. But I don't know that this is it. I don't know this is the best use of Rude. I'm just a shits and giggles. But anyway, that will wrap up this much show. Chris Lacey, thank you very much. You're welcome, Bob. Uh, uh, tell, uh, us about your, oh, well, tell us about your long list of podcasts. Uh, where can people find you? <laughs> the long list. Um, obviously, we are in the midst of 1993 on uh, Super Brawls. We are about to do, which is something that I really don't ever want to watch, is Slamboree 93, a legend. Oh, the, the first show I ever watched for this project. Predated the podcast by about two or three months. Um, but this was right around the time I started watching, like just, you know, the Twitter account started like right around 93. May 93. Mm. And Slamboree was the first show I watched. I remember the big gold-draped uh, staging set. I, I know that, was, that wasn't that was unique to that show. They did it in future years as well. They did it on quite a few WCW pay-per-views at the time. Um, but yeah, you're, you're getting close to uh, to Beach Blast and the old uh, the old mini-movies. This is, well, uh, this is a throwback even for me. Because um, obviously the first one's done for Super Brawls. Where you've was got, that the, the White Castle thing with Vader and Steve? Yeah, the White Castle affair. That's right. Um, but yeah, so I, I get to watch my least favourite person who we who we hate so much that we actually made our worst thing of the year award about Wahoo McDaniels in a match in 1993. 
I can't think of anything worse. But we're also sort of, because we've got a lot of the TV from around that period now, so we're starting for our sins to try and watch as much of the TV between the pay-per-views and clashes so we can sort of know what's going into each show. And dear God, WCW TV in 93 is awful. It's a bit of a struggle. Uh, and Saturday night is Saturday night. Well, worldwide is something else. Like this is we're right around the time where they start bunching up. Yeah, well, we're a bit ahead of it actually because I think it's early '94 when they start bunching up the taping. There's all the things about you know trying to tape. You know, big. You know, there's you got to get to all the stuff regarding you know all oh, they're taping. You know, TV six weeks in advance and the pay per view in the middle, and so they they have to like give away results or have guys come out with belts or have guys not come out with belts, etc., etc. You got all that. Sort yeah. Of uh, but it isn't going to get better for a while. I'd say WCW Saturday night, end of 94, they start to add in the odd storyline-based action. The odd bit, like the blacktop bully stuff, and then we get the angles with Hogan and Flair and, and mm. Savage. Um, but yeah, like if you're going to start watching the TVs, it's it's going to drag for a while before it starts improving. But we sort of knew it was going to happen. <laughs> Yes, what, one of the one of the things about going back in time is that we can uh, we can forward project these things. But there is a certain level of nostalgia to it, just not in that volume. Like, there's a certain level of nostalgia watching Saturday night and and, uh, and worldwide, but not twelve hours a month. No. Um, so yeah, so that's that's coming out probably sort of around the same time as this comes out for the end of the month, um, which is we should be recording that at the beginning of next week. And then also we have my music podcast, Show and Tell with Tunes, which I have just done the first 26 episodes and now up. Um, basically about an hour of music, ten normally about 10 songs per show. Um, basically a bit of everything that I want to listen to that day or has taken my fancy or new things that I've found. Um, there's a couple of episodes that are about art, single artists. Uh, I've done Zebrahead and I've done Wednesday 13 so far. Um, you can find those on YouTube, or not on YouTube at all, on iTunes. Uh, just search Show and Tell with Tunes. And uh, that's about it. And you're on Twitter? Obviously, on here for Wrestling 20 Years Ago, all your ECW stuff. And you can get me on my personal Twitter at Show and Tell. Oh, no. Legacy five 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 six six six. You probably have too many things to promote. You need to uh, yes work out a way of streamlining all that. Yes, uh, just a reminder that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you or or donate to the cause or just get early access to shows like these, uh, you can do so. We find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling twenty yrs. Four volumes for this month. Volume number one: WCW taking a look at Slamboree ninety seven. Uh, Void number two, taking a look at WCW, looking at In Your House, A Cold Day in Hell. We also look at the Rob Van Dam angle from uh, from Raw. And Void number four takes the UFC, if you are interested. We do cover an episode of Friends on this month's UFC show, as you do. Um, so there's always that. But anyway, you can find all the information you need at wrestling20yrs.com. And that'll do that. I've been Bob Bamba. This has been the May 9th, Volume 3 the May 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.